This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm going to carry on from where we were last week, and I'm going to read from Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. So he went off to pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Then the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed. Number two, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed a third time saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. My betrayer is at hand. Um, I started speaking about this last week, and there's so many little nuances, and there's so many areas of this um, passage that carry so much weight. And so I really, I'm just wanting to explore it and kind of dissect it in little bits and pieces and have a look at it. One of the things that's so important in this verse is three times Jesus separated himself and went to go and pray. He went to go and pray. It was funny because in preparing this, I thought I knew exactly what I was going to speak about on Monday. So I had everything ready, but then it changed. And so then I knew what I was going to speak about on Tuesday. But then it changed. And then I knew what I was going to speak about on Wednesday. And it went through the whole week. And then last night, I had absolutely no clue what I was going to speak about because everything went out the window. And so when I was up, I get up early Sunday mornings. And I was up early this morning, and I was just spending time with God. So he started to speak to me about some stuff. And so I'm just going to share from that. And so we'll just go with that and see where it it leads. Okay. Um, I think a few things. Number one is this. Jesus is alive. The the implication of that fact is tremendous. Jesus is alive. Too many Christians don't act as though Jesus is alive. Jesus separated him three times, separated himself three, separated himself, not himself, himself three times to go off and spend time with the Father, to go and pray. Prayer is not going to the Father with a list of wishes that I really want and asking for him to bless it. Prayer is that place of intimacy. Prayer is that sacred place. It's the secret place where he went to that place of intimacy where he met with the Father. And he and the Father were in in communication. They were talking. They were relating to one another. There was discussion. There was interaction. There were things happening in that space. And even when Jesus left that space the first time, he was still unresolved in himself about certain things. And he went back and he said, there's more to talk about. Let's go back to the place. And he left and he did it a third time. He went back to talk. 
He was interacting. Jesus is alive. What it means is this. We don't serve a religion. We serve Jesus, who is alive. As Jesus being alive, it's important for us to understand that, number one, he's looking for relationship with us. It's, it, it's dynamic. It's living. It's vital. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with a risen God called Jesus. If you look at the definition of what a religion is, religion is a belief or a worship of a higher being or a deity. The thing about it is you can have a religion, but in that context and in that definition, it's not dependent on anything relational. You can have a worship and you can have a belief in something, but it doesn't require any kind of relating to it. The difference between Christianity is that it requires us to relate to who he is. That's what he's looking for. If we talk about it being a religion, the thing is there are plenty of religions in the world. There are plenty of places in the world where you can go to. And what religions do is religions are comfortable for lots of people. And part of the reason that it's comfortable is because religion is going to give you um, a, a book, a, a set of rules, of criteria, of what it means to be a good person. And ultimately, the goal is to become a good person. But it, what it does is a couple of things. Number one, it shifts the responsibility to you. You have the responsibility of managing your behaviors and your actions. You have the responsibility of doing everything so that ultimately it culminates in what constitutes a good person. The goal of too many people is to be good. The problem is this. You can be good and at the same time be dead. We have to be sure that we understand what God's criteria is, not what my criteria is. If my criteria is to be good, I'm pursuing a goal that's not God's goal. God's goal is not for me to be good. God's goal is for me to be alive. There is a big difference. What he says is your good works are like dirty rags. You know what he's really saying? You're trying really hard to be like me, but it's never going to get there. What he's saying is, stop taking the hard road. Don't take the hard road. I don't want you to go to the hard road. I don't want you to go to the tough places where you try and look like me. I want you to come to me and allow me to do something in your life that introduces who I am into you. It's a completely different context. It's like the two trees in the garden. That was the problem. Here's the, the, the tree of the spirit of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did he say? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because it wasn't because God said, well, I don't want you to be knowledgeable. It wasn't because he didn't want you to have understanding because he didn't want you to get to a place where you, be, where you began to realize and live by the reality that the objective of my life is to be good as opposed to bad. The objective of my life is to live from the tree of life that's, on the ins that, that's there. The problem with it is too many people are eating off the wrong tree. I'm trying really hard to be good. In the context of trying so hard to be good, I'm not pursuing what God is after. God isn't about introducing us to religion. He's about introducing us to life. He's about introducing us to life, who he is and what he's all about. 
He's living. He's alive. He, he's looking for an opportunity to meet with us. When we go and we meet with God, the thing that's important about God is in that space, he doesn't introduce us to a set of rules. What he does is he introduces us to who he is. The thing that's important about God is when we go to him, what God wants to do is take of who he is and birth that inside of us. You see, God doesn't have love and he doesn't have life and he doesn't have power and he doesn't have joy and he doesn't have goodness. Those are all things that he is. There's a big difference between what you have and who you are. It gets down to nature. The thing about it is the reason that he wants us to come to him is because when we go to him, what we do is we sit and say, I don't want to live by religion, which puts me at the center, trying to be good, looking like God, being at a place where I can present myself as a moral person. What I want to do is I want to have your nature. Because when your nature gets born on the inside of me and I live from your nature, all of a sudden the fruit of that nature begins to manifest itself. God's not saying, I want you to look like me. He's saying, I want you to be born of me. It's a completely different thing. The reason birds fly is because it's in their nature. The reason fish swim is because it's in their nature. What God's saying is, if I can birth my nature inside of you, what will end up happening is you'll begin to reflect the fruit of what that nature is. The Lord is speaking. <laughs> He's saying, are you paying attention? <laughs> the invitation that he, that he extends to us is this. Live from, I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. What he's saying is, when I met with him, he gave me something. It was his nature. What he did is, old things passed away. My old nature is gone, and he's given me his nature. And all he's saying to us, me is this, now begin to live from that space. Why is it important? It's because if I didn't have his nature, for one thing, I couldn't relate to him. And so when I have his nature, all of a sudden I'm at a place where I, the door is open to relationship. Spirit to spirit, he begins to communicate with me and I can communicate with him. It's a big transition for us as people because we're so accustomed and we're so acclimatized to living in the natural. And so what we often want to do is we want to take the things of God, which are spiritual in nature, and we want to put them into a natural context. And we try to assimilate them and we try to understand them in this context. And God's sitting saying, it doesn't work that way. The reason that I've given you my nature, the reason that I've made you alive is because what I've done is I've created an opportunity for you and I to engage in relationship. But that relationship is spirit to spirit. It's spirit to spirit. When we're born of his nature, there are two things that are really important to God. The one is death and the other one is weakness. I know, you, now you're really quiet. And both of them have to do with you. The reason that death is important is because any time I live from my nature, my old nature, as opposed to him, what ends up happening is I bear the fruit of where I was. Any time I'm prepared to sit and say, I'm dying to that, but I'm going to be living 
to his nature, what ends up happening is I allow that to come in and inform who I am and create fruit of that nature. I have to make a decision to put my flesh to death. I can't get into this this week. I'll do it next week. But I'm going to do a whole thing next week about the importance of the difference between who I am and, and how I break myself down and who God is in that context. Because it's important for us to understand how those things work. It's kind of like a doctor. Nobody wants to go to a doctor and he says, you've got a problem inside of you. And it's like, okay, well, I could have told you that. Can you give me a bit of definition? Well, I don't know the difference between the heart and the lungs and the, and, and the bladder and the everything else. That doesn't help. We, we create it in a certain way and it's important for us to understand that, that uh, makeup of who we are because when we understand that makeup, it'll give us context for what God is trying to do and then we'll understand it in that context. Our most dangerous part to us is who we are from a fleshly point of view because we always want to migrate into that space. We always want to live over there and God's sitting saying, I don't want you to live in that place. What I want you to do is I want you to live from relationship with me and allow that to inform this dynamic, which is my natural one but it's a strange place for us to be and we're not always comfortable in that place the fact is it drops us out at a really odd place and the, the place that we come out is this your christianity can be whatever you want it to be your christianity can be relational or religion it's up to you to determine what you want it to do and there's a mix in this world some people have it as a relationship because they discovered the truth of who he is and they live from, be, from a living, dynamic, real interaction and relating to who he is. Other people don't view it from that perspective. And so they view it as a religion like any other religion. I'm doing what I believe God wants of me. Are you with me? Yeah. You're very quiet today. It will be whatever you want it to be. Context becomes really important. Context becomes fu fundamental to the way that we deal with the things of God. Because if we have the wrong context, what ends up happening is our interpretation of scripture becomes wrong. When I have the correct context, it brings understanding. It brings comprehension. It brings us to a place where we're able to partner with it. If we don't have context, we run the risk very often of misinterpreting what's happening in that space. In the Old Testament, which talks about Old Covenant, what covenant means is this. Covenant basically are the rules that define the nature of the relationship that exists between God and me. A covenant. It's, it's a relationship. And what is the definition of that? So in the old way that I used to relate to God, what ended up happening was I was at a place where God was outside of me. God was over there. And so when Moses wanted to meet with God, he went out to meet with God and he went up the mountain and God was there. And he eventually he said to God, can, can I see your face? Because God was outside of him. David worshipped a God who was outside of him. Abraham worshipped a God who was outside of him. But the thing is, even in that space, it's quite interesting to discover the fact that our interaction with God is still designed to be Intimate and personal. There's a, there's a very interesting story that happens. It's, it's in Genesis chapter 18. And it's a story about Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's ready to destroy it. And Abraham goes to God and he says, okay, well, let's negotiate. Did you ever think you could do that with God? He went to God and he said, I'll tell you what, if I can find 50 people 
who are good people in the city, will you save the city? And God was, this is God who's like, I am that I am. And he's like, I'm ready to destroy the place. And Abraham says, you know, I, I, I know that I'm placing a demand in our relationship, but will you consider it? And God says, yes. He changed God's mind. We can't imagine that. Our relationship with God is intimate and dynamic. He feels every part of what we're going through. He's looking for us to go and have conversation with him. And maybe you have to go to him and meet with him once or twice or three times or even more about something. But he wants you to come and share. Not only come and share, but create a space in that place where you allow him to also share with you. And leave it so that there's a relationship, there's an interrelating between the two. Can you do this? We don't know if we can do stuff like that. Why? Because I'm so accustomed to rules and it's like, okay, this is the way it works. This is the way that it's structured. This is the way that it operates. And so I default to a set of rules as opposed to moving to a place where it's like, talk to me. Can you hear my heart? I know this is happening in my life and I don't understand it. But I need for you to speak to me. I need for you to give me some clarity. I need for you to give me some understanding what's going on in this place right now. But if I don't have that, all I have is rules. He spoke to God. And you know what? He negotiated God from 50 people down to 10. Eventually he got to 10. He said, look, I'll tell you what, if I can just find 10 God, will you save the city? And he said, yes. I want to shock you a little bit because I want to understand that our, our, our relationship with God needs to be that personal. We want to think things, but we don't feel comfortable taking them to God because we think, what will he think of us? As if he didn't know. He knows what we're thinking. What he's saying is, do you have the trust in me to come to me and speak to me about some stuff? And there's some things that you don't understand what's happening in your life. And you might be mad with God about some things. You think he doesn't know, but you've never given him the opportunity to be able to speak about that. You've developed a set of understandings independently of him, rather than going to him and sitting saying, talk to me about this. You might be surprised at what he tells you. But that's what it means to live with a God who's alive and living and dynamic. A God who's interested in you. Many Christians are more comfortable in the graveyard than they are in the flower bed. The graveyard is a comfortable place for a lot of people because you know what? It's predictable because nothing changes. It's dead. It's so easy because the landscape stays exactly the same. Nothing moves. It's predictable. I can read it. I can tell you about it. I understand it. I have all the notes about it. I have all the understanding there is. I can give you every bit of understanding there is to know about the graveyard. And you know what? I'll go to bed tonight, and when I wake up in the morning, it'll be exactly the same. It's predictable, but it's dead. When you go and live in the flower bed, the flower bed is a dangerous place. You didn't think that, but it is. 
The flower bed is a dangerous place because it's full of life. You don't know what's happening from one day to the next. The thing about the flower bed is all of a sudden you have shoots coming up and it's like, where did they come from? And what is that? And what are they going to end up being? And look what's happening over here. I've got plants that are growing up in this place and they're starting to bloom. And these ones over here have got fruit all over them and things are happening. Our heart is designed to be a flower bed, not a graveyard. That's the nature of relationship. It never stays the same. It's always shifting and it's always changing. It's always introducing new life. It's always evidencing fruit. It's always bringing you to a place where this needs to get pruned and do away with this stuff. But it's living and it's vibrant and it's alive. What God's inviting us to is this. Come and live from my life. Don't live in the graveyard. Don't live in a graveyard. Most people want to find an understanding of God. Because they feel if I can understand God, they know, they're not looking for a formula. They say they're not looking for a formula, but really they are. What they're saying is, this, this is the way the thinking works. If I get the understanding, I will be able to gain a context for how things are. And when I gain a context, then I'll be able to put together a roadmap to walk into it. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to take the things of the spirit, understand them in the natural and create a way so that I can apply them and I can walk into them. And God's sitting saying, that's not the way that it works. I know you don't believe me, so I'll prove it to you. Um, let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We think if we understand God, we can walk into the things of God. And what he's saying is that's not relational. Relational is when you come to me and you partake of my nature. What ends up happening is you begin to bear the fruit of those things. There's a strangeness about the way that God operates with us. And he does it intentionally because he's not a fan of fruit or of flesh because flesh is not of his nature. God's all about his nature and who he is. And so the thing about it is when God comes and he wants to introduce something new to us, we think what he's going to do is we think that revelation is all about God revealing it to us, to us and giving us a deeper sense of knowledge, clarification, understanding, dissect a concept for us so that we're able to interpret it in a more uh, substantial or a deeper way. And God's like, that's not what I'm talking about at all. That involves you beginning to understand the things of God. And he's not against that, but that's not what he's about. When it comes to revelation, what he's saying is, you have my nature on the inside of you. And the thing about it is when you come to me and you allow me to take an aspect of who I am and open it up to you and show you who I truly am on the inside of you, that truth will begin to manifest itself in you. And the thing is that truth manifesting ourselves inside of us is completely independent of whether you understand it or not. Revelation can happen in your life whether you understand it or not. God's not here to indulge our knowledge. He's here to introduce us to life. We don't get that context because we're always in pursuit of knowledge. Because if I'm knowledgeable, then I know what's right and wrong. I know how to be good and not good. 
God's like, I'm not about that. I'm about introducing life to who you are. So context is important because you thought I forgot, hey? In the Old Testament, it was about a God who was separate from us. In the New Testament, what's really important is this New Testament, new covenant, new rules for relationship with him. A God who lives inside me. The reason it's important is this. If you take a scripture like um, Colossians 3 verse 4. It says, when Christ who is your life shall appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. Depending on how you see God is going to create something called context. If you see God as removed from you, as distant from you, God who lives up in heaven and God who is out there, you're going to interpret that scripture this way. Sometime in the sweet by and by, something will happen in my life. When Jesus returns, he's going to come. And when Jesus returns, he's going to do something in me and I'm going to realize his glory. The problem is it puts my life in suspension. It puts my Christianity in suspension. Everything's sitting suspended. Why? Because I'm waiting for the coming. Because nothing happens until the coming. Because Jesus is not here, he's coming. And I'm waiting for God somewhere down the line to come in and do something. And so I always talk about when God returns, when things are going to, I always talk about a God in heaven, the good times we're going to have, the streets paved with gold, because sometimes in the future, you just manage where life is right now, but he's not a part of your life. He's not intimately involved in your life. He's not looking for a relationship with you, but sometime down the way, you'll meet with God and things will happen. But if you have a New Testament context, it's completely different. In a New Testament context, I begin to read that and I sit and say, when Christ who is my life, I got born again. Hold on, I have his nature on the inside of me. And when I participate in his nature and it begins to appear in my life, he will be there. What's happening? His nature is being manifest in me. And I will participate in his glory. It's not me. It has to do with who he is manifesting himself through me. And I begin to live from the things of God because he's put them inside of me. Your context is important. How do you see the things of God? So I was thinking a little bit about this. You're very quiet today. I'm like, why don't you just sleep? I told you I should have prepared harder. So there's an interesting thing that happens to us as people. And it's called marriage. And marriage is interesting because it creates an unusual context. Because the Bible says, when we get married, the two shall become one. In the context of marriage between a wife and a husband, the two become one. But they're not one, they're really two. But the two are one. And the one is two. And we begin to understand that there's a mystery. 
And it speaks about the fact that there's an exclusivity about the arrangement that exists in that space. And it's really about emotional, physical exclusivity, something that exists in that place. All of a sudden, in that place, the two become one. Sarah and I are one. And as I live in that space, what begins to happen is I begin to develop an appreciation for the fact that I don't just live for me, but actually the way that I behave has implications in terms of us. And I can't just do anything I want to do because it doesn't just affect me, it affects us. And so in that context, I begin to realize, yes, there are two of us, but it's really one because we're intricately interconnected. The moment you got born again, the minute you said, you know what? I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Christ did two things. Number one, Look at Ezekiel, I think it's 26, verses 36 and 37, something like that. What is it? Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What is he just saying? He's saying, I'm going to give you my nature. What he's saying is, I'm preparing, just leave it up there a sec, I'm preparing a dwelling place for me. Right at the moment, I don't have a dwelling place, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a dwelling place for me. So I'm going to do all of that stuff. And then he carries on, and in 30, 27 he says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments, and you will do them. The two shall become one. Understand the whole context of New Testament, the whole context of uh, covenant in terms of what Christ has created for us, the whole terms of relationship that exists between God and me is not a God who's far off, but the spirit of Christ who lives inside of me. The two shall become one. In the two becoming one, I become aware of the fact, and this is the call to the Christian, to become overtly aware of the fact that the two are one. I have his nature, I am in him, but he is in me. I am not him. I am not him. I was born of his nature. I'm a new creation in Christ. But because I've been born of him, I've created a place where he can come and he can reside. But in two becomes one. The important thing is this. Well, there are a couple of things. Number one, recognize they're two, not one. So many Christians go through life and they carry on walking through life and they have no appreciation for the fact that Christ dwells inside me. Do you know what it means? It means come and relate. Come and pray. Separate yourself. He's creating an intimate space in there for me to interact with him on an ongoing basis because he's not me. The first thing that happens when I get home at the end of the day is Sarah says, tell me about your day. What happened? Talk to me a little bit about it. What? The two become one. Let me share with you what's happening in my life. He's looking for us to live from the reality that he is with you. To what degree do you have relationship with him? I don't know. It's between you. You talk about it. How intimate are you with him? 
Can you hear his voice? Are you intentional about spending time with him? The two shall be one. He is walking with you. In that space, it's not only the two becoming one, but it's understanding the fact that in that place, there needs to come a recognition of the fact that he is not me and I am not him. And so there are certain things that form my roles and responsibilities and certain things that are his. And this is where the confusion in our Christianity comes sometimes, because what ends up happening is God sitting saying, I'm not asking you to be me. The whole point about journeying life with him in me, with him journeying through life with me, is I get to interact with him. And when I walk into certain environments, what ends up happening by default is I want to try and fix things. And then I start to try and fix things. And you know what happens when I start to try and fix things? He just waits. And that's not altogether bad. There are times in, sp- in places where you can fix some things in the natural and you can address some things. The thing is, sometimes we want to jump ahead of God. We want to go and do some stuff, but we've never ever consulted him. There are some challenges in people's lives today. My question to you is this. Have you asked him about them? Sometimes we think this is the devil. How could this come in? How could this be happening in my life? Get behind me, Satan. I curse this and I bind this. And, I'm at, and we're carrying on and we're doing all kinds of stuff. And God's saying, what are you doing? I did that. What do you mean? God can do some stuff in our lives and it might be uncomfortable for us, but he has a bigger purpose that's at play. And the thing is, if we don't understand what's going on, we deal with it from the flesh and we're running ahead doing all kinds of things and changing all kinds of things and addressing all kinds of things and trying to fix all kinds of things. And he's sitting saying, what are you doing? Did you ask me? If you had, you would find out. I would just say to you, keep your hands off. I know it's blowing up and maybe it's on purpose. Because some stuff needs to come out because when it comes out, it can be dealt with. And when it gets dealt with, then we can move on. I didn't see it like that. You didn't ask. Jesus is in the garden. He's at the pinnacle of what his ministry is all about. He's at a place where he understands that the sacrifice for humanity is coming and he's going to have to pay the price. And he's sitting in that place where he's confronted with the reality of the price and the promise. The price and the purpose. And he's in the space and he's engaging with God and he's sitting saying, can this pass from me? Is there another way? He's talking to God. And you know what? Disciples missed everything. They're fast asleep in the garden. Clueless to what's going on. If we don't have an intimate relationship with God, the world will be passing you by and you have no clue what's going on. What happened? I was fast asleep in the garden. Fast asleep in the garden. It's so valuable for us to develop that intimacy with him. Wake up every day. Good morning, Father. The Spirit of God lives in you, but the Father is in heaven. This is the weird dynamic. The same Spirit that the Father has is the same Spirit that the Son has, is the same Spirit which is the Holy Spirit, which happens to be the Spirit of Christ which is inside you. So the way that he communicates with us is this. I go to him and I say, Father, I want to speak to you. Where is he? He's in heaven. 
And as I communicate with the Father and as I speak to him, and as I share with him, I wait to hear from him, but I don't hear a voice out there. I have his spirit inside of me. And so what he does is he uses what's of him in me to communicate to me. I'm going to speak about this next week. The biggest problem with so many Christians is they can't define between their voice and God's voice. And I'm going to, I don't, I've got all the stuff going on. He puts his spirit inside of us because I don't hear an audible voice out there. What ends up happening is I, I, I have promptings that come from here. I have images. I have ideas, things that where did that come from? As I begin to define and recognize his voice as being apart from mine, the two shall be one, but they're still separate. When I begin to identify and recognize his voice and I respond to his promptings, I recognize when it comes from him. And it's like, okay, I get that. I get it. And the two shall be one. is an interesting thing that happens. The moment that you're standing at that altar, the moment you, nothing's happened yet. You, you're leading up to that place. You're leading up to the place of the I do's. But when you say I do, what you've just done in that moment is you voluntarily gave up your independence to become one. I knew what I was doing but I'm prepared to surrender my independence to become one. You know what it means? It means I used to be a bachelor and I used to live as a bachelor and I was carefree and I could do whatever I wanted because the only thing that I ever had to consider was myself. And I used to live according to what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and when I wanted to do it and how I wanted to do it. But all of a sudden, I moved to a place where I say, I recognize so much value in that. I'm prepared to say goodbye to bachelorhood and I'm prepared to introduce myself to what it is to be a husband. When I'm a husband, the two shall be one. All of a sudden, I do not just have the, 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 the prerogative of being independent. The minute I want to go from husband back to bachelor, I'm going to find myself in a place where all of a sudden the independence is going to ride against the two shall be one. All of a sudden, where I am right now is moving to a space where it's not taking any consideration of the fact that there's somebody else in this arrangement. Independence is always dangerous, and independence always rides against union. In our relationship with God, God is always bringing us to a place where we recognize not to do things independently of him. I live in relationship with him. Talk to me what's going on here, Father. Explain to me. Give me understanding. In that space, it's going to introduce me to weakness. Sarah is much better at nurturing than I am. I think there's some, I don't care what people say, just listen. W women are just better, they're better nurturers than men are. It doesn't mean that men can't nurture, women just are. They, they have, they just excel at it. Good for you, moms. Men are solution-oriented. It's like, okay, so how do we fix this? And Sarah's like, we're not trying to fix it. He's got a broken heart. And it's like, I know, but let's fix the problem. And it's like, so what happens in that space? Because the two shall be one. What happens is I recognize my weakness is nurturing. My strength is solution. He doesn't need 
solution right now. He needs nurturing. Mom, you do it. <laughs> but the time's going to come where it's like, I feel better. So where do we go to from here? Okay, now I step in. Why? Because it's, that's my strength. It's the same with our relationship with God. There is a place where God wants us to come to a, a, a recognition and a value for the place of weakness. Weakness is not something which is bad. Weakness recognizes my limitations in a situation and sits and says, I can't do this. I need you. Weakness brings us to a place where I sit and say, it's not about me anymore. I'm stepping aside. You, you come in. You, you're the partner here. You do this. Weakness is such a good place to be if we can honor that space because it's a place of reverence for who he is. The problem with it is if we don't recognize and have regard for weakness, we always want to try. We think that we can earn things from God. Instead of just going to him as the two shall be one and saying, I can't do this. You're, this really, I have to leave it up to you. What we want to do is we feel a sense of responsibility to introduce God. So we try and do it. Let me pray harder. I'll pray longer. I'll pray tougher. I'll put things in. I'll declare stuff. I'm trying to do stuff. It's not my job. It's his job. But I didn't recognize that. I'm trying to do some stuff and I get, some, I get frustrated because I don't understand why things aren't happening. And God's sitting saying, you never asked me to do anything. He's not asking us to earn his love. He's not asking us to earn his contribution. He's just asking us to live out a relationship with him and get to the place where it's like, I can do some stuff. I'm okay here. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me direction. But right in this space, I don't know what's happening. You've got to give me clarity. Father, I need for you to do something with my child, in my work, with my bank account. I can't do that stuff. My independence can rail against God. It's not only my independence, but it's also the, my will. I have to choose certain things. In the context of marriage, my will and my choices have implications. They're either bringing us closer together or they can be tearing us apart. Anytime I want to live from the way I want to live, I'm going back to my bachelor days. I don't have that prerogative anymore. In the place of being a husband, I'm to be influenced and affected and changed. Iron sharpens iron and no place better than marriage. It does. I'll tell you why. Because with friendships, you can go, I'm out of here. Bye. But you can't do that with marriage. You can, but it's much harder. With marriage, it's like, I got to go back and find, find out what's happening here. It doesn't always mean that you're wrong. And it doesn't mean that you have to succumb to what the other person's saying. But what it is saying is, there's some rough edges here. Get to him and find out what's truth. And maybe you need to make some changes. The biggest disappointment for me is people whose lives are in the toilet. And they haven't done anything to recognize their contribution to it. No, there's a sadness for me about it. I, I, I know people who've been through some, just made bad decisions in life. And not just a bad decision. They continue to make a series of bad decisions. And it's like, 
God can't bless you because your model for life excludes him. And unfortunately, the situations that you've been through up until this point haven't actually been at that place where it's rubbed you enough, where it's been like, ah, do I do a, did I do a little bit of a self-audit? It's not to fix me, but it's to recognize there's something here. Hold on a second. Something's not functioning. Speak to me about this, Father. What needs to change? Don't be afraid of living out of a self-audit. Sarah and I were talking about this the other day. The biggest challenge that many people have is they never actually put the brakes on, stop for a moment and say, hold on, this is not something that happened. This is a recurring sequence of events that continues to happen. And when I speak to people and when I look at my past and when I look at all of these things, all the variables come into play and everything pin points to it. And yet I never stop for a minute and say, well, common denominator. It makes me sad because the problem with it is we lose so much opportunity in life. Life is about growing and changing. Life is about experiencing a, a, a more expansive part of who I am. Not because I can do it, but because I recognize that there are limitations with regularity that get in the way. There are hurdles that become problems. There are things that are, that are encumbrances to my life. And God's sitting saying, will you come and talk about them? If you come and talk about them, I'll set you free. And if I set you free, all of a sudden the boundary goes and it's like, oh, this feels good. Why? Because I don't have a wake of destruction behind me all the time. It's not a criticism, and please don't get me wrong, because everybody's got stuff. I'm the first. I'm at the front of the line. Everybody's got stuff. The thing is, what are you doing with it? Do you want to end up at the end of life and sit and say, ah! He's with you, and he's walking with you. And what if all of life is not accidental, coincidental? What if all of life is intentional? What if that incident that you had was completely orchestrated by him to show you something? What happens if there are no accidents? How often do we use life as a mirror and look at it? Our default usually is to sit and say, it was them. They did this. They behaved like this. They did blah, 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 blah. It's always outside of me. Outside of me is such a nice place. <laughs> Everybody likes outside of me. Have you ever noticed what a good view and what a great perspective you have on outside of you? <laughs> But when you put it on yourself, it becomes so much different. And the funny thing about it is sometimes you can speak to people who really know you and they'll tell you something. And you think, where did you get that from? <laughs> but it's important. Because as we journey through life, living from his nature is not a prerequisite and a requirement for him to work through me. I used to think it was. It's not. The reason that he puts his nature inside of you is because he has a look at you living from anxiety and stress and pressure and, and um, self-hatred. And he looks at all of it and he's like, I don't want that for you. And so if I can give you my nature, the fruit of the spirit, 
love, joy, peace, patience. What he's saying is, I'm giving you a smorgasbord of new opportunities to live from so that you can be a different person. So you can experience me and sit and say, I used to be this, but man, you know what? This is what God's introduced me to. I like where I am. I like who I am. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know what he's really saying? He's not saying you stop existing. What he's saying is this. When you get to the place where you can stop defining yourself, when you can stop be, being the one who creates the ingredients to to for what constitutes you and you can get to the place where you sit and say I surrender all to you I allow your nature to come into that place all of a sudden my personality begins to flourish because all of his goodness all of his love all of the good things out of him begin to express themselves through my life and you become a different person and you know what you don't have to try Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The reason he's saying that is this. When we understand death and we understand weakness, we begin to realize that the most important component to things is trust. Can I just can I, can I speak about one thing quickly? Yes. Sorry, it's, I, I know it's, I've, took a, take a, I've taken a little bit of time <laughs> because I can't speak properly, but, but this is important. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, I can't tell you how many people. It, it, of course, that when it comes to getting married, all the husbands are like, yes, yes. <laughs> I love those vows. And all the wives are like, I'm not too sure about that. Can we, like, re- can we write our own vows? <laughs> Let me tell you the way that that's supposed to work. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The point of of it is this. When you love your wife unconditionally, when she understands that she is the apple of your eye, when she understands that you would give your very life for her, when she understands that nothing else comes before her, when she understands that everything that you do is to sit and say, you know what, I just want for you to experience the fullness of who you are. When you love your wife in that way, she will move to a place where she'll submit to you. Why? I'll give it to you because I trust you. Until I've experienced your love, I don't know. But when I've experienced your love for me, when I know how much you love me, when I've seen your sacrifice for me, when I know that I am everything to you, I'll submit. Why will I submit? Because I know that no matter what happens, I'm safe in your hands. I'm safe in your hands. As Christ loved the church. Here's the reality. When we move to a place where we understand what Jesus has done for us, when we understand the fact that he paid the price so that we could come in and he could make us a brand new creation in Christ, when we understand that he paid the price so that he could come and he could live in us, when we understand that he paid the price so that you no longer had to be bound so that you could be free, when we understand that he paid the price because you are the apple of his eye and he loves you and he loves you so much, he knows the number of hairs on your head. You don't even know that. He knows he loves you so much because of who you are. When you have a revelation of how much he loves you, you will trust him. 
The reason that we don't do, let God, we don't move to places where we trust God as much is because we really don't know how much he loves us. Get a revelation of that and it'll change everything in your life. Why? I know I can trust him. Why? It doesn't matter. You don't know who you're talking about. I do. When I know who he is and I've experienced who he is, when I've become a brand new creation, when I experience life from a different place, when I live in relationship with him, when I see him working in my life, when I see him touching my family, when I see him expressing himself in all the different aspects of my life, I know he cares for me. And when I move to a place where suddenly something has to happen and it's no longer my will, but your will be done, I'll move in and I'll do that. Why? Because I trust you. That's what got Jesus to the place. Even though he sat there, his question to God was not this. It was not, gee, I don't know what needs to be happening. It was this. I understand the cup that's before me, but can it pass from me? Is there a plan B? Is there some other way that we could do this? And the reason that he went down that road was because I trust you. And I may be separated from you, but I know in that space, you will raise me up. When we know how much he loves us, when we're immersed in his love for us, you'll trust him all the way down the road. How's that? Okay, I've got three minutes. How good, eh? Two and a half. What I'm wanting to, to do in all of this is I'm wanting us to move closer and closer to a place of recognizing he lives in me. He lives in me. And he's looking for me to recognize it and to live from two shall be one. What will change our Christianity is life, connecting with him. And so I'm going to speak about that a little bit more next week. Um, and I'm going to dissect it into pieces because it's important that we understand how things fit together and it'll give you definition and I think it'll be helpful because it's a practical way to begin to move forward with God. Thank you, Father, for giving Jesus. I want to thank you for what he did for us. I thank you for the price that he paid because he loved us so very much. Father, I pray that your spirit will just make itself, himself, more and more known to us. I, I ask you, Father, that as people are intentional this week about setting aside time to meet with you, I pray that your spirit within them begins to manifest himself to them in ways that they least expect. Thank you for the opportunity of journeying through life with you. I want to thank you for every person here and for every person watching. I want to thank you, Father, for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you that you're in the process of raising a new people, a new generation, a generation of people who live in intimate relationship with you, a group of people who are world changers.
I thank you and I bless you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.